The Classic Comics Forum Podcast presents issue number 20, The Brave and the Bold, numbers 50 through 73, part 2. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris, and in this episode, I'll once again be joined by MDG for the finale of our two-part discussion of The Brave and the Bold, numbers 50 through 73. Last episode, we discussed issues 50 through 56, which ushered in a new era of Brave and the Bold storytelling focused on superhero team-ups. In this episode, we'll be continuing that discussion, starting with number 57 and carrying through number 73, the last issue of the random superhero team-ups, as beginning with number 74, Batman became a permanent co-star of The Brave and the Bold until the end of its run with number 200. We'll begin this episode, though, with two issues that sort of break the mold as their solo tryout spotlight issues introducing one of my least favorite DC characters. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into the action with our discussion about Brave and the Bold number 57, featuring the first appearance of Metamorpho, the Element Man. Enjoy. Speaking of creating superheroes, we've got issues 57 and 58, where we sort of ditch the team-up aspect of Brave and the Bold and go back to the tryout books, because here's Bob Haney's favorite creation, Metamorpho. And <sighs> now I know you're not crazy about Metamorpho, and to be honest, his appearance and I, I, you know, I have a problem with like shape-shifting characters, but I love everything else about this. You know, I love the supporting cast, the way those were kind of created, maybe to try to echo uh, what the FF was doing and, you know, setting up these character dynamics. Again, fun art by Ramona Fraden, you know, good character designs. But, uh, but you know, as individual stories, eh. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Fantastic Four, because that's something that really struck me reading Metamorpho's origin in issue 57, is how similar the origin or particularly the character dynamics i should say is to ben Grimm. i i very much got the uh, ben Grimm sort of feel here where rex uh as a result of something that simon stagg does rex uh is turned into this monstrous figure and he wants to turn back into human and so stagg agrees to try and help him but in the meantime, he's just sort of this like hideously ugly guy with his superpowers. And I, I really got a very strong Ben Grimm and Reed Richards uh, thing going on with those characters. Yeah. And then um, having Java set up as kind of um, like uh, Johnny is, who's you know, always kind of ragging on Rex and you know, kind of even more so that he wants you know, Rex totally out of the picture. And then Stag kind of uh kind of you know leading rex along you know on this uh you know forever uh cure for his condition and again rex wants uh you know to have sapphire back so there's a lot going on there there's a lot of character dynamics yeah it was actually pretty interesting issue 57 his first appearance in origin i thought was okay like the art's always good because ramona Fraden's good and she's very expressive She's got just enough cartooniness with this character. 
And I thought the story was pretty good. Where I start to have problems was in the next issue with 58 because I felt like there was just the second issue in and we're already taking that character dynamic and becoming a little formulaic with how it's playing out. Yeah. And this is a problem that I have with metamor- all of Metamorphos appearances. Like, And unfortunately, I've discussed more, multiple appearances of this character already on my podcast. But for instance, in the Metamorpho issue of First Issue Special, which is an entire decade later, the character dynamics is, are exactly the same. It's very formulaic in terms of what the characters are doing. There's no progress. It's like he they had a really good initial concept and then never developed it. Uh, on a character level from the starting point. I've read a lot of the Metamorpho issues in uh, one of the showcase books, and, you know, it does get kind of samey. Then later on, they even add Element Lady just to kind of shakes things up a little yeah and and it's a shame too because again i think the uh i like the characters and then you know later on when we t- when metamorphose back in issue 68 we could talk about that a little more so 59 is an interesting one it's the first of these team-up issues that features batman and he's teaming up with the green lantern uh so it's also for me uh the first team up where we have two like a-list characters mm-hmm. flash does appear in a lot of these issues but he's usually teamed up with he's like with adam or the metal or the doom patrol martian manager yeah. so it's kind of like this is the first time we see two a-list team up team together and the result is a really great cover that i like <laughs> a lot <laughs> and that's about it yeah yeah the story is kind of by the numbers uh, and what what, what I'm assuming it's introduced here, and you'll see in all the Batman issues, is the Whirly Bat, which is kind of like this chair that Batman sits in with a helicopter rotor on top that he, you know, rides around in. So in this issue, the, the plot kind of doesn't even matter, but it only matters in that the next time these two characters team up, it's actually a sequel to this. So yeah. there's this guy called the... Time... It's con- something or other? Time... Time... Man? <laughs> hold on (laughs) the time commander time commander and uh he has this he can like beam people into the future or into the past and it several elements of this plot make no sense because haney seems to have forgotten how time works there there's a point in the story where he's like i'm gonna dispose of these guys so they can't stop me i'm gonna send green lantern one day into the future and batman one day into the past so Green Lantern, you're sending him one day into the past. You're giving him an entire extra day to prepare for this moment because he's going to catch up to you. He's not going to remain one day behind you the whole time. That day's going to pass and we're going to get back to this moment and he will have had an entire day to change events or set things up to capture you. And the same with Batman. It's like Batman's a day in the future. Well, 24 hours from now, you're going to catch up to him. He's going to be right there. That, that doesn't help anything, but for, for some reason it works. Like that, it shouldn't work. Because it doesn't make any sense, but it does work. Well, it's like, um, I don't know if you read the JLA story with the origin of Hawkman, or when Hawkman joins the JLA, where there's this group of crooks who are in these like big hula hoop type things that sends them, they exist 10 minutes into the future. So whatever everybody does to stop them doesn't, because they've already passed that. And Hawkman finally um, disables their getaway car because they're driving along and their tires blow. And Hawkman explains it's because he is going to put tax on the road in 10 minutes. 
So yeah, so they did a lot of like weird time stories around this this period. Yeah. This, this, I just have a big note on my thing here, underlined saying that's not how time works. <laughs> well, um, you don't know that because our technology has not caught up to these books yet. This is also an issue where we get into secret identities. One of my big bugaboos with DC in particular from the Solar Age is they get so far up their own butt uh, in terms of their secret identities. We have all these storylines, like the entire Lois Lane series is just based around Superman trying to keep his identity a secret. Yeah. It's so insular and, and circular that it becomes just incredibly tedious. And at the end of this issue, Batman and Green Lantern have discovered each other's identities, and then they Green Lantern uses his ring to brainwash both of them so they forget each other's identity or something. And they reference a pact that the Justice League members have made in, over in the pages of Justice League where they learn their secret identities, they're going to use some sort of device or something to make them erase their memories of it so that they won't know their secret identities. And... I was just like, come on, do we have to? But also it struck me as like, this is, this is why the terrible series Identity Crisis was able to exist in the first place. But in here, it's just like, hey, let's just brainwash each other and erase each other's memories because we can't have anyone learning our secret identity. Now, I won't write about it too much because yeah. there's another issue later on that we're going to get to where the entire plot is just about protecting right. secret identities and that issue sucks so when we get to issue 70 i'm really gonna go off i have a footnote with that but yeah. we'll wait till we get there okay <laughs> <laughs> so issue 60 the actual first appearance of the teen titans mm-hmm. right on the front cover we see okay wonder girls join the team and the way they draw her on the cover and throughout the issue she looks like she has just been injected with like 3000 grams of pure heroin because her <laughs> eyeballs are just like bugging out of her skull the the i don't know whether it's true or not but the apocryphal story is that bob haney didn't know that wonder girl was actually just a younger version of wonder woman because the stories over in wonder woman got so complicated that he didn't realize it was the same character and so he accidentally created her as a separate character in this story now yeah. i know we've got people like shakespeare has gone into this quite a bit in some of his reviews and he doesn't think that was actually the case but i don't know either way things get really confusing when you try and figure out who wonder girl is mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i know that's been like a, a big discussion it's not one i follow a lot i think a lot with the crazy eyes comes from the fact that uh you know, people are referring back to, you know, the Andrew, Ross Andrew art in Wonder Woman, where, you know, people tend to have crazy eyes. So that's why that kind of got carried over here. But uh, they don't explain. They just say Wonder Girl's part of the team, right? They don't say yeah, much there's, else. there's no explanation. The team is formed at some point between issues 54 and 60. She's on the team. That's yeah. That's all we know. We get no background. Besides being the first appearance of the Teen Titans, though, I think our, our discussion may be more important is this, to me, feels like the first appearance of Bob Haney as we know him now. Because <laughs> this is, not only is the plot completely batshit insane, where there's a guy who turns into a giant who then splits himself into different body parts, so you have huge ears and a giant nose and lips and huge feet just, like, randomly going all over the county. It's just crazy. The dialogue is berserk. His mm-hmm. his fake teen patois is just so bad. Like, I, I read this and I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here, <laughs> here's Bob Haney. You know, it's taken him a couple years of these team-ups to really get in stride, but now this is it. He's, he's arrived. 
Yeah, I wonder if you know they have them earmarked for their own book at this point. Because I'm, I'm not sure how much of a uh, lag time there is between this issue and Teen Titans number one. Well, there's a, they have another tryout after this in, uh, in Showcase. And again, this is something else where, again, uh, there's the town where it's the adults versus the teens. And, you know, this is on the day where the teens um, were going to take over the town, like, you know, be like the junior mayor and junior department of sanitation and whatever. And there's an alert that the kid who's acting as mayor, his father escaped from jail. And he had been in jail because he had transformed himself into the separating man years ago. And while not a bad guy, when he's the separated man, he turns evil. So that's why he's in the big house right now. Yeah, and it turns out that his uh, cellmate had actually stolen the formula from him because for some insane reason, he brought the formula with him into jail. And also, how did the authorities allow him to smuggle this formula into jail with him? But it does lead to a great moment where the plot hinges on the, the he gets free and he creates his antidote and is lugging around this like eight foot syringe <laughs> that he has to plunge into the heart of the giant, but they can't find the giant's torso. Yeah. So they're following other body parts around, hoping that they will lead him them to this disembodied giant torso. Yeah. And, you know, once in a while in DC, you get a real unpleasant looking monster or villain. And this is one of them. I mean, it's it's just just the image of, you know, these things walking around. It's kind of queasy. It is. And not only is it disturbing because there's giant body parts, but he looks like he's made out of like ground beef or something. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of, yeah, it's gross. So the other thing I wanted to mention about issue 60, besides the fact that at the end of the story they end up winning because the teens like uh, sing Beatles tunes. That aside, other thing we get from Bob Haney here is more of his sort of uh, institutionalized sexism because this just, it was so bad. It just cracked me up where the, the teens are going off to, to form the teen Titans and do this rescue mission. And as they go, each of their mentors is like warning them, you know, be careful, you know, flash is like, okay, kid flash, just be careful when you go. And Batman's like, all right, I hope you know what you're doing. And then when Wonder Girl goes, we get this quote from Hippolyta, the queen of the Amazons. I want to again stress this fact. This is Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons, saying this. She says, remember, you're just a girl among male superheroes. So yeah. here's, here's Bob Haney showing his, like, his real understanding of the characters that he's working with, where Hippolyta warns her not to overstand herself because she's just a girl. And there's men around who can clearly do things a lot better. That's right. Apollo, the, is, the queen of the Amazons. Yeah. And, and Wonder Girl is always the most powerful of the Titans, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, Robin, uh, you know, Robin is leader for some reason. I think, I guess, it was based on circulation numbers, you know. But, uh, yeah, and again, that's an issue throughout the series. Okay, so next we've got uh, a break from Bob Haney. We've got issues 61 and 62. They're written by Gardner Fox, and these issues are a team-up between Starman and Black Canary. And it's Julie Schwartz editing them. Yeah, and, you know, Gardner Fox writing them, you know, Murphy Anderson drawing them, so it's, you know, that whole Schwartz uh, gang. And this seems to be possibly, you know, an attempt to revive some more of the golden age characters that didn't have um you know without creating a silver age version of them yeah, there seems to be a lot of this going around right around this time because over in the pages of showcase they also mm -hmm. had uh, dr midnight and dr 
sorry, Dr. Fate and Our Man had come back. Um, the Spectre recently had come back. We're going to see him in a couple issues right here in Brave and the Bold. There seemed to be a big push to revive or try and, and test the waters with members of the Justice Society. Yeah, and that, that's probably an outgrowth of uh, you know the uh, JLA-JSA team-ups that I guess were pretty popular. And people liked seeing those characters. So you know, they wanted to see if they could sustain a book. Unfortunately, the stories are not very interesting. They're just they're just pretty boring, in my opinion. Um, uh, they're they're yeah. Um, what uh, yeah? I think the artwork by Anderson in these is, is like some of his best stuff, though. You know, it's a typical Julie Schwartz gimmick kind of story. Um, and but uh, I think the artwork really carries it. Yeah, the the cover for sixty one is great with the mist's giant head and stuff. Like it's a, it's a really good cover. The art's really good. I just found the stories and the characters to just be very boring without much personality. Um, the second one, they also brought Wildcat back for for issue sixty two. <laughs> And his role consists of lying unconscious in a cage, and then when they wake him up, they're like, you're completely incompetent, you stay here while we go fight the bad guys. Yeah, you know, because at this point, uh, Black Canary doesn't have any powers. You know, she doesn't have her sonic screen. Um, Starman in the first one does give her a mini cosmic rod for some reason. One, you know, one thing that might have been interesting as, you know, if this went on was, um, you know, the fact that she's married to Larry Lance, and that could have been an interesting dynamic of, you know, I married a superhero. Yeah, it's... Uh, and, he, he doesn't uh, even show up in the second issue. Yeah, a, a lot of things seem to disappear between issues, but it's interesting you mentioned that, because it's one of the big things I wanted to bring up, is that nothing ended up going anywhere with this. We see Black Canary, of course, gets revamped in just a couple years by Denny O'Neill and is brought over into Earth One, but Starman sort of vanishes and neither of them really get much play out of this story at the time. However, this is a key story in the 90s because in the James Robinson Starman series, the events of these two issues are a major part of the backstory for Ted Knight, specifically... It turns out Starman and Black Canary had an affair during this period where they were teaming up together, and it caused it ended up causing a lot of strain in in uh, Ted's marriage, and uh, there's all sorts of like fallout with uh, his son finding out about it, and um, so it's a really important issue. And also, the Mist is the main villain throughout the Starman series, and a lot of that is I think based on his appearance in, in this story in issue 61. Yeah. You know, another thing about these is they don't mention age at all, you know, and that, you know, Black Canary and Starman would at least be, you know, in their mid forties and they're still kind of running around doing the superhero stuff. Yes. And I don't want to get into this in much detail now, but this ended up eventually becoming a big problem with Black Canary because they brought Black yeah. Canary from Earth 2 to Earth 1 and then she wasn't aging, whereas the other characters were. And they had this incredibly ill-advised yeah. storyline where they retconned it into her being her own daughter and she just thought she was married to her own father. And the less said, the better about that. Like, that was just a, that was just sort of retconning at its absolute worst right there. Yeah. <laughs> So after this, we get uh, issue 63. Talk about the less said, the better. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Like 63. I, I think we have to talk about 63 because it's yeah. so incredibly bad and offensive. 
We're just going to go over the plot real quick. I'm not sure we need to even say much more other than just describe the plot. But in the plot, uh, Supergirl saves this actress who I, I had a hunch was based on Elizabeth Taylor um, from this accident. And nobody cares at all that Supergirl just did this amazing feat. They're all just worried about the actress because she's so famous and beautiful. So Supergirl is like, I'm tired of being a superhero. I want people to look at me like a woman. So I'm going to quit and just go chase the dreams of a regular girl. And so she quits being Supergirl and for some reason announces this to the to the media and then moves to Paris and becomes a supermodel. And called Supergirl. Yes, called Supergirl. And so Superman's like, yeah. tries to talk her out of it and she won't listen to him. So he goes to Wonder Woman and he's like, my cousin is just, just went completely crazy. And I obviously don't understand women. So can you talk to her? And Wonder Woman's like, I'm going to go talk some sense into her. And Wonder Woman flies to Paris and burges in the room and is like, uh, we got to have a talking to. And then it, before she can really get into it, she's like, wait a minute, but that dress, it's so pretty. <laughs> so Wonder Woman's like, now I get it. And then the, this like Frenchman just bar Barges into the room and starts making out with her. And she's like, well, Steve Trevor never kissed me like this. This is great. And so she quits being Wonder Woman, being a superhero. And the two of them just like have these affairs with Frenchmen. Uh, and they end up on this island where there's a happens to be a supervillain. He just naturally assumes that they must be there to stop him, even though they couldn't care less about stopping anybody anymore. And so he sends this henchman after them over and over again. And eventually they're like, wait a minute, something's going on here. Oh, there's a supervillain. I guess we should stop him. And then they just are like, oh, okay. But but they have to do it without acting super in front of their boyfriends. Which didn't make any sense to me because the boyfriends seem to already know who they are. They call them. You know, oh, they, know. they know. Wonder Woman's wearing the tiara. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. That, that really yeah. frustrated me where the guy knows that Supergirl is Supergirl and yet she doesn't want to, basically she doesn't want to appear Unladen powerful like. in front of right. him. Yeah. So there's a part where she pretends to be terrified of a crab and jumps into his arms so he can rescue her and carry her off because she doesn't want to see that he's actually, she's actually like stopping an avalanche. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, I had read this years ago and totally forgot it. So I, I read it. I was surprised uh, when I opened it up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's not this one. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, usually I have a high tolerance for, well, it was written, you know, 50 years ago, but uh, this one's kind of tough going. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually don't have anything else to say about it. It's just every page of this is successively more offensive than the previous page. And needless to say, these characters, uh, they don't get to team up again in this title. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do eventually see both of them in the title years later. Wonder Woman first when she's in her mod phase. But, oh, man, it's just it's so it's so embarrassingly offensive. Yeah. I, I do just want to mention uh, the art is uh, John Rosenberger, who later would do uh, work on Lois Lane. But yeah, here he seems to have a hard time keeping uh Supergirl and Wonder Woman's faces on model at the beginning. Um, it doesn't, yeah, I was going to say he doesn't seem comfortable with the superheroics, but he, you know, had been doing the fly at Archie and producing some really good work there. So, 
I don't, so I don't know what happened with this one. So this actually bleeds right into issue 64, because just when I thought the sexual politics couldn't get any worse, we have this team up between Batman and Eclipso. There's, there's a bunch of things happening in this issue that I found interesting. Firstly, Batman seems to have a completely different personality in this issue compared to just five issues earlier when he was with the Green Lantern. He seems very hip, and with it, he's calling people baby. I don't know if the TV show had started yet or not, but I know it was around this time. Yeah, um, I think it was, I, I think when this came out from the cover it's just about when the uh when the show is launching and we get this oh man first of all eclipso is the team up and he's also the villain eclipso is a character that i i don't care for i don't find him interesting yeah. but also it speaks right to the like the heart of my issues with uh the secret identity stuff because he's also protecting his secret identity even though in his in his in the real world he's a good guy but he has a supervillain that comes out of him but he doesn't want to compromise a secret identity even though if he did it would protect the world from being destroyed by eclipso yeah i mean you know eclipso is brought out by eclipses which seem to happen every other day you know in his series and then just needs like a flash of light to go back so it's kind of a a weak thing so yeah even though alex toth uh, drew a whole bunch of eclipso stories i haven't gone after those issues in uh i guess it's house of secrets worse than eclipso though in this <laughs> issue is queen bee because there is this uh oh my god this storyline where batman basically rescues this uh sort of bratty young debutante from who's like pulling this stunt to get attention on this bridge and so he saves her from falling in the, in the river and then in front of the paparazzi, he throws her over his knee and spanks her. And then, because that's not even the worst part, she then comes back to him the next day and, or a couple days later, whenever, and says that she's now in love with him because he's the only man who's strong enough to stand up to her. Everyone else just let her get away with things, but she needs a firm hand guiding her and apparently a firm hand on her bottom. And they team up for a while and yeah and and they get engaged and then she breaks up with him because she's become a supervillain because she's trying to save her father who got involved with this mysterious crime organization and blah 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 but at the end she throws caution to the wind and probably dooms her father to be executed because she's just so in love with batman and his amazing spanking abilities that she saves him from being killed yeah you know a lot of these stories have like the worldwide crime syndicate which is like a thing you see around this time in a lot of uh like james bond and like you spy movies and you know that seemed to be kind of a go-to thing for a lot of these uh, dc titles yeah, and, and Eclipso is, even though he's only available part of the time, is like head of what you know this hive of I forgot the name of the uh, the crime Cyclops. Cyclops. Um, yeah, so uh, they they frame Batman for uh, stealing the necklace from a uh, from a museum. You know, she sets him up so that it looks like Batman stole this thing when he was really putting it back for her. Yeah, and, there's so many things that didn't make sense about it, like. The, the villains are blackmailing her with her father's life to force her to become a completely ineffectual supervillain. Like, yeah. Why do they want her to do that? She has no skills or abilities. Like, I, well, I, don't, I don't get what they gain from, from this. Well, she's a crack shot because that's how she seems Batman. But, uh, we, you know, we didn't mention the scene where she, where she asked the police to give Batman a letter from her and he starts reading it and tearing up in front of the cops 
And the cops, like, when she frames him, they immediately buy it, and, and uh, not only do they try and arrest him, but later on, they, sh- they shoot him. Uh, because, uh, you know, everything he's done for the last 25-plus years in the comics apparently means nothing. They're just like, oh, yeah, he, he, we assume he stole that gem, and, he, and then he's lying to us when he says he didn't. Yeah. So, anyway, this was a bad issue. <laughs> Uh, the next oh. issue, 65, I found... Do you have more to say about that one? No. The next issue I found to be a little bit better because it's essentially an issue of Doom Patrol that they yeah. published in Brave and the Bold, and The Flash is just a guest star. He guest doesn't star. even appear until page 13. Yeah, and um, it, it's a good Doom Patrol story. You know, uh, they, uh, the Brotherhood of Evil uh, decoys Negative Man into a lead-lined coffin, so you know now they have to go rescue him. But the way they do this is pretty interesting. I forgot why they bring the Flash. Oh, they bring the Flash in to kind of impersonate uh, Negative Man. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought this was a good story. And it's a good Doom Patrol story. It's not much of a team-up. Flash doesn't really... He's not even yeah. the Flash for most of the story. He's dressed <laughs> as Negative Man. One thing that struck me is both this issue and then later on, the last one we're talking about, 73, there are issues where the supervillain's plot completely worked and then the good guys end up winning because they just trick the bad guys into thinking that they lost. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really have a lot to say about this. It, it was, it's definitely better than, than a lot of the previous issues. Um, I like the Doom Patrol. This is before some of the characters had joined the team. So there's mm-hmm. no Beast Boy. There's no Mentallo. Uh, it's just like the original team member. Yeah. And also, this is uh, Dick Giordano's draw- drawing it, which must be one of his first things for DC. Because uh, the artwork's very good. A lot more realistic than uh, some of you know some of the things you see, but you know he, he does it very well. So issue sixty six, on the other hand, Metamorpho and the Metal Men. I my note here Who is are your favorite. Yeah, it says my personal nightmare made real. Um, <laughs> this issue I, I didn't care for because I just it, I thought it was dumb. Basically, Metamorpho goes to uh, Doc, Magnus Doc Magnus to try and cure. get cured, and the cure works, but then the Metal Men are all turned evil, so he. Go, turns back into Metamorpho on purpose to, tr- to save everybody. It's Again, this very much felt like ben uh, a Ben Grimm story. Yeah, and it's another like villain from the past, too. You know, no one had ever seen before. Yes, and, and, and the, the, the bad guy didn't make any sense because he's been stranded on a desert island, and yeah. while he was there for 15 years, he was working on his big breakthrough, which was a group of robots that are divided by specific elements and have the powers of those elements. He creates the Metal Men completely independent of the Metal Men. And I was like, really? Two people had this completely stupid idea independent of each other? Well, it's not that it's a stupid idea, but it's like... It's very specific. And, and, it's a very specific you know, thing to come up with. Well, <laughs> yeah. But, and then, you know, he has, you know, he takes it out on Magnus because it's Magnus's fault because he was, you know, stranded on a desert island. Um... On a good side, at least from where I'm sitting, it's uh, Mike Sikowski art, which I know is another uh, mixed blessing for a lot of people. I tend to like Sikowski's art. It good. depends. It depends. Uh, but I, I have a soft spot for Mike Sikowski. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, he did some really interesting stuff for DC at a time when they weren't allowing a lot of people to do interesting work. So I, I can I can handle Sikowski. Yeah. Oh, good. Otherwise, though, I was just glad this ended. I just wanted to get past it. So, issue 67, we get Batman and The Flash. Now, Batman and The Flash are the two characters that appeared the most during this period of Brave and the Bold. Flash appeared a lot of times, Batman, of course, even more. So it was nice to see them together. It was like bringing the big guns together. Yeah, and Batman is in the next 
five issues. Then there's two without him, and then... Uh, and then it's him all like, the rest of the way. Yep, all Batman all the time. So there's a this the plot of this issue is really dumb. It's basically there there's these uh, crime syndicate that all have magic sneakers that allow them to run fast. And the Flash has has developed this illness where he's going to die if he uses powers too much. But luckily and randomly at the end, he gets close to a pair of sneakers, and the meteorite <laughs> dust on the sneakers recharges his body somehow. Well, you know, if they had a good reason why the Flash was had contracted this, you know, syndrome, the rest would have been easier. But now it's just like, you know, Flash, if you run, you're going to die. Yeah, it was yeah. a very sort of... Uh, a lot of these issues have sort of last-second resolutions yeah. that where they don't make any sense, uh, where it's just like the Flash just shows up with his powers again, and they're like, oh, you're okay? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But, but, yeah, but there's a great... You know, cause there's a superpower or super fast gang. So Batman calls Flash to come to Gotham City, but you know Flash doesn't want to run because he doesn't want to die. So he takes the train, wearing his costume. Yeah, yeah, that's I. That's a very. There's several very Bob Haney touches to this story. My favorite is that the way they find the bad guys is that they have their secret headquarters listed in the phone book. Yeah, at the Accelerated Gentlemen's Club. Or yeah, something the, like the Accelerated <laughs> Gentlemen's Club. That was great. Batman's like, oh, what do we do? We can't find them. Oh, what if I just look in this book? Yep, there they are. Well, there's East also, there's also, you know, we have, you know, they're on guard for this, you know, the super speed gang. They're looking for everybody with sneakers on and, oh, there's someone with sneakers, but it's okay. It's just a kid and it's a midget. You know who's in the gang. This is now the second storyline that I have covered on my podcast that involved a little person being <laughs> d- <laughs> disguised as a child in order to trick the good guys. That this uh, that was also an issue of Blackhawk. So two for two. But this just, my maybe my favorite thing, and this is just me. There's literally not a single person other than me in the entire world that would have noticed this or cared. But. When we first meet the sneaker gang, one of them has a special vacuum that he uses to suck up all the money uh, <laughs> off of a table where the people are counting it. There was actually, in boy comics, there was a crime buster villain called the Vacuum, and that was his entire shtick, is that he had a vacuum cleaner that he would use to suck up money and then run off with. So when I saw this, I was so excited. I'm like, oh my god, they brought back the vacuum, the, the supervillain that nobody was clamoring for. Well, you know, just just the other thing about this is, you know, it's Infantino art, which I think is really good. Um, Charles Paris is inking, who this is the only story that he drew for DC. And he uh, inked like a whole bunch of like the Dick Sprang uh, Batman stories. And I think he was inking Metamorpho at this time. Never got a credit. He got a credit here and they misspelled his name. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's, that's not right. Yeah. Okay, you want to move on to 68? Yeah, 68. We have uh, Batman and Metamorpho. Uh, okay, this issue was completely crazy. And uh, I found this issue to be very funny. Sometimes intentionally funny, usually unintentionally funny. But basically, a bunch of Batman supervillains. This definitely seemed like something that was coming right out of the TV show. Where oh, yeah. they had 
the Riddler and Penguin and Joker team up to, I don't know why they needed all three of them to do this in segments, but they each administer part of this thing to Batman that eventually turns him into Bat-Hulk, which is Batman. It's basically the Hulk wearing a Batman costume, only he's evil. He's evil and his hands can generate huge amounts of heat. Yes. Um, and so Bat-Hulk just sort of rampages around. And the funniest part of the issue is when he decides to take over the crime in the city and the th- <laughs> the three bones are like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, oops. Well, my only note on this one is possibly my favorite Silver Age DC ever. Um, and I think part of that is because when I was probably seven or eight, I'm not sure how quickly after this came out it was, I picked this issue up at a church sale and uh, as a used book for a nickel. And this is, with Metamorpho in there, it's kind of like my first um, non-Superman, Batman, JLA exposure to the DC universe. You know, plus having, you know, the three main bad villains in there. And this really great story. I, I just think this is a really good, fun book, like you say. It is. It was a, it was a lot of fun. There was, I mean, there's always things that don't really make any sense. One thing that really, I don't want to say it bugged me, but I was just scratching my head was... At the end, Metamorpho is like fighting Bat Hulk, and Metamorpho is supporting cast is there. So it's like yeah. <laughs> Simon Stagg and um, Java. Java. And Penguin, the Joker, and the Riddler are standing against the wall, and just they're just standing against the wall watching. And Simon Stagg's like, Well, we've caught these three, and then the cops show up and haul them away. And I was like, you guys are super villains. What? Like you're just standing there and you're letting this just random civilian just make a citizen's arrest, <laughs> and throw you in a paddy wagon. Aren't you going to do anything? But when their plan didn't work, it just totally threw them off. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. You know, again, it's uh, Sikowski artwork. I think it looks really, really sharp here. It, 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 this is just a, a really fun story. I, I guess we should mention that the reason Metamorpho's in there is after Batman, uh, comes down from being Bat Hulk the first time he figures there's only one man who can uh, you know who can cure me and since we just saw Doc Magnus it's uh, Simon Stagg this time. Yeah, I, I enjoy this one. I, I, yeah. I have to say it's not my favorite like it is yours, but I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Batmania definitely seemed to be in full swing. Like we, issue 69, uh, the next issue we get another team up with Green Lantern. It's a sequel to issue 59 with the Time Commander, but uh, Batman's like full on you know it's right out of the tv show at this point in terms of his personality and we're seeing him almost every issue now yeah and um it's another one of those things that i think we've seen here before where the villain has to somehow get energy from the heroes so when we first see batman he's like being trapped by this giant metal bat that's kind of on his back and there's no way to get it off him and i think does he call green lantern to do that yeah it, it turns out that he it, it eventually turns out it's actually time commander yeah. posing as batman and batman's off on his right. whirly copter and uh green lantern comes and busts him out of the thing but the 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 bat vice that he was stuck in was actually a device to absorb the power of the green lantern's ring yeah seems and like a roundabout way to do that another thing we get here is that there's another robot created by a scientist only for good but it didn't work out so they launched him into space and or he's in into folds of time or whatever the hell and the time commander brings him back 
And as soon as he does, he's like, oh, that was stupid. What did I do that for? And then he just like <laughs> runs off. And at the end, the robot, like the, the actual builder comes to try and make right. amends. And, but the robot's still too angry at being uh, cast off. This is like the third time now we've seen the same plot where there's a robot who's upset at being discarded. Right. And, and the, uh, the inventor of the robot was in a nursing home, kind of catatonic at this point. Right, because of he had his robot had turned evil. Yeah, and that leads to a really ill-advised sequence where Batman disguises himself as the scientist and tries to bluff the robot. Uh, but the part that really bothered me was that he has this random nurse, male nurse from the nursing home, dress up as Batman and drags him along as part of this plot to trick the robot. And the robot does not fall for it. So until the actual guy happens to show up to save the day at the last second with the serum that can send the robot into space, the robot is about one second away from killing this fake Batman, who is just a totally innocent nurse that Batman bullied into dressing as him. Well, it sounds stupid when you explain it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably because it's... Really stupid. <laughs> anyway, like Green Lantern's um, participation in this story is almost nil. Basically, his ring powers the bad guy. And then yeah. the time commander is just like, he gets captured in the end through some sort of like outsmarts himself or something. But he's he's also yeah. incidental to the story. It's really about this robot fighting a nurse dressed as Batman. And, and you really got to just wonder how much time, you know, there's, you know, Haney or, or any of the writers at this time are spending on individual stories or if they're just like, sitting at the typewriter and banging them out. Well, they didn't seem to spend any time on the next issue, 70, which was so bad. Okay, well, before we leave, I just want to mention uh, Wynn Mortimer's artwork in 69, um, which, you know, is good. But again, he's somebody else who doesn't seem accustomed to uh, superheroes, even though he, you know, draw them later on. I think he draws a few issues of the Legion and does some, you know, uh, Superman family stuff. Let's go to 70. Well, Wynn Mortimer has a soft spot in my heart because he much later drew Night Nurse, which is one Ah. of my favorite series. Yes, issue 70, Batman and Hawkman. Okay, so this is is bad. I just want to warn everybody right up front. But it's specifically bad because it's the entire plot is about superheroes protecting their secret identity. There's this guy named The Collector who collects superhero secret identities. So it seems to be a trope where we have as a villain who collects superheroes in this case he just wants to know the secret identity that's it and he does this crime wave that he puts on as part of this elaborate plot to figure out who batman is and he does in fact guess correctly and he has some pretty compelling proof that that batman is bruce wayne so batman then gets hawkman involved in this incredibly convoluted scheme (laughs) to try and convince the guy that he's not bruce wayne and then the guy eventually figures out that that Hawkman is actually Carter Hall. And then they have to go on this even more convoluted plan where Batman and Hawkman dress up as each other. And then they get hit by this truth serum, but it doesn't work. And then blah, blah, blah. It makes no sense. And the whole story is just about how the incredible lengths these guys will go to to protect their stupid secret identities. I just hate the secret identity stories so much from DC. Yeah. And, and at the end, they trick him into not believing who the secret identities are by leaving a fake newspaper clipping in the glove compartment of the Batmobile as they're taking him to jail or something like that, right? Yeah, and Hawkman wears a rubber alien mask. Yeah. And then this is despite the fact that earlier in the story, the guy had like a 
like x-ray scans of Mm -hmm. both Batman and Bruce Wayne proving that like on a genetic level, (laughs) that is the (laughs) same person, but the newspaper clipping says otherwise. So the guy basically convinces himself that he's wrong and then goes to jail, uh, thinking that he's won because he knows that Hawkman's an alien. Yeah. And he doesn't want to tell anybody because he wants to be the sole collector of this information. Yeah. Um, Nice cover. Really nice Infantino cover. And um, I just, again, I just want to mention the artwork because when I first picked up this issue in the 80s, um, yeah, as a back issue, obviously, I could not figure out who was drawing it. And of all people, it's Johnny Craig of EC Comics. So I guess around this time, you know, he's looking to do you know, some more comic work because um, it's probably this is 67. So is, is that when he was drawing Iron Man or around that time? I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and, you know, because, you know, he draws really regular people great, and those scenes are good, Um, except, like, the the collector, he gives them these, like, really crazy eyes, (laughs) you know. Otherwise, it's, uh, everything's handled pretty straight. Um, He draws a real nice Sierra, I would say. Uh, So let's let's jump to issue 71 real quick. 71 is all about... um, these Native Americans, there's a good guy and a bad guy, and they're having a contest to see who's going to become the new chief. And then there's this evil promoter who is using this to trap the uh, legendary Thunderbird. And for whatever reason, the the good Native American guy doesn't like have any skills. So he gets Batman and Green Arrow to train him in traditional Indian skills because who's going to know more about that than a couple of white dudes? Yeah. And then there's a contest and there's like all this really heavy-handed like dialogue that's just some of Bob Haney's worst <laughs> in terms of talking about, you know... Um, Oh, wampums and the big chief yeah. and uh it's just it's like horribly offensive it, it is it's uh i don't know it, it, you know first you know just the idea there's two native americans who have rival trucking companies of all things and um that you know there's going to be this competition to see who's going to be the chief and it becomes this big promotion and they're going to cheat so that the uh bad guy wins yeah it's it's uh not great <laughs> No, and the other thing is, other than training the guy uh, to basically throw a javelin and box, Batman doesn't do anything in this entire story. Everything is done either by Green Arrow or by the Native American guy whose name I'm blanking on and didn't write it down. Uh, Batman doesn't do anything. Like, he gets captured. That's it. He's useless. And yeah. the, other, the other interesting thing here is, uh, so Greeno's back in the book. At this point, though, his own series that had been a backup running since 1941 up to 1964 in various titles was had ended. So when this came out, Green Arrow no longer had his own book. He was just appearing regularly as a member of the Justice League of America. So I wonder if they were trying to test the waters to see if he was popular enough yet for a comeback or what they were doing here. I know, because this one was uh, drawn by George Papp, who uh, I think was a long-time Green Arrow artist um you know you talk about like the embarrassing stereotypes you also got to mention that most of these issues at the time um did you notice the inside front covers were you able to read those yeah did they have those um like public service announcement things yeah just just about yeah just about every issue of these has you know one of those in there um so you know again often heavy-handed but uh 
like to think their hearts were in the right place. Their hearts are in the right place. Uh, their brains, on the other hand, I'm not, I'm not so convinced of that. Uh, so issue 72, we get the Spectre and the Flash. And I thought this was a really good story. The art was really good. <laughs> The Flash, however, has nothing, nothing to do with this story. They don't even use his... Flash. Yeah, it's Ghost Flash. He doesn't even use his speed. Like, he's just... He could be literally anybody in the role of Flash mm-hmm. in this story. It's all about this uh, World War One ace who is dead. And he comes back as a ghost to get revenge on his uh, former squadron mates who had left him to die. And so he traps the Flash in this really convoluted plan that knocks him out and turns him into a ghost flash with psych like super natural powers. And he commands the flash to battle the specter for the souls of these, uh, 12 world war one veterans. The art was the cover. First of all is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's a favorite cover and the art inside Infantino again with, uh, Chuck Quadera inking i think maybe probably the only time he inked uh infantino is very nice yeah it is if i had any quibble with this is that when i first started reading it i thought that the ghost was actually the ghost of enemy ace but Mm. but, uh really good issue really good issue it's just again it's a specter story that they shoehorn the flash into and it could have been anybody just like the last time when we saw the flash with the doom patrol you know that's a doom patrol story that they jam the flash in there you get the idea maybe these are titles that weren't selling as well so they wanted to try and get a boost from flash fans but if that was the case i don't know why they didn't just publish these as an issue of doom patrol and as issue of specter yeah well you know one continuity type thing is that this is an earth 2 story and you know it starts out with you know, saying, you know, here's flashes on Earth 2, and he talks about he's going to go see Jay Garrett um, before he gets trapped by this ghost. And everyone else is saying, you know, saying, oh, look, there's the flash. Right. And, you know, not saying it, you know, it's not our flash. <laughs> and, you know, so it's just kind of, uh, you know, on Earth 2 to get the specter. So it, it would have almost made more sense for me if it had been on Earth 1 and the specter kind of sensed this. Uh, you know, the ghost ace and came over for that reason. Yeah, that was something that confused me. I missed that word balloon explaining it was on Earth 2, and so I got really confused what, where they were because everyone in this story reacts to the Flash as though he's the guy they're used to. Everyone knows who he is. So I was like, is the Spectre on Earth 1? Like, what, what the hell is happening here? Yeah, and, you know, it would not shock me if that mention wasn't in there originally till, uh, you know, the editor or uh, Julie Schwartz said, you know, if that's uh, the Spectre, it's got to be on Earth, too. I think his uh, series is probably running by now. So finally, we get uh, the last issue of the, what we're covering here, the last random team-up issue, which is 73. It features Aquaman and the Atom. And after this issue, starting with 74, it, they just decided to go straight Batman every issue, Batman teaming up with other people. And that lasted for the rest of the run all the way to issue 200. Mm-hmm. This uh, other people teaming up in Brave and the Bold, though, sort of uh, went out with a whimper, not with a bang. Yeah. And uh-huh. we have another situation where the Atom is called in because... They need someone that can shrink really small. In this case, because there's like a pirate submarine that lives inside a single drop of water that's been terrorizing Aquaman. Yeah, it's well, it's a it's a uh, a pirate submarine from another dimension, I think, or from the you know this microscopic dimension. And yeah, you know, Adam has to go into these this drop of water, find the ship, rescue Aqu- Aquaman. I don't know. If, did you notice in this one how Aquaman? Or Aqualad uses an alliterative fish phrase every frickin' time he talks. 
No, I think I just assumed that he was saying something stupid and it just glossed, like it just went right in one ear and out the other. But what I did notice is, um, so yeah, as you mentioned, like there's this super intelligent microscopic plankton supervillain, which right off the top I think is fantastic. And at the end of the issue, basically the Atom cuts a deal with him where he's like, we're going to team up. I'm going to help you uh, conquer the full size world. Um, in in exchange for you letting Aquaman go, and so the Plankton villain is like, okay, he's like, you know, I can't go through, I can't get big like you can because uh, if I do, uh, my body can't take the strain and I'll die. So let's team up. And so Adam's like, great. So he sends Aquaman back. He immediately breaks his word, like immediately, and then he uses the device to make the Plankton guy full size, and the Plankton guy explodes and dies as a result of this. Just as he said he would. And yet, like, there's no remorse. He just ruthlessly murders him. I was shocked by how the Atom basically grew the bad guy to full size, knowing that it would kill him, and just, like, <laughs> basically <laughs> murdered him. And just, like, no remorse. Just, like, haha, I tricked that asshole. Oh, it's only a plankton, though, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just a super intelligent plankton with a highly advanced uh, scientific genius that he's, like... I don't know. I had some issues with him first breaking his word, tricking him, and then murdering him, <laughs> all in like two panels. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. That, that's not much I could say about that. I, I did want to mention though um, that you know, we we ta- said there's like no letters pages in any of these, and they all have uh, full page text features, kind of keying off something in the issue. So like the Metal Man issues, you know, it'll be something about elements. When I was going through the. Uh, GCD on this one, you know, the text synopsis from GCD for, you know, the one in this one, because it's the Atom, you know, there's a text piece that speaks of short, important short men through history, such as Napoleon Bonaparte, Billy the Kid, <laughs> John Horton Slaughter, and Tom Thumb. That's so just, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw some of those where they were trying to tie these these things yeah. in with the story, and I they seemed really desperate. <laughs> <laughs> But it would be interesting, you know, probably when Batman becomes regular is probably when they start the letters page up again. Yeah, and I've got to say, I feel like even though it's still Haney writing the Batman series, the quality goes up once it's Batman in every issue. Yeah, and I'm not sure if the editor changes. Um, These are all George Cashdan still, but I'm pretty sure it becomes Murray Boltonoff later on. I'm not sure how quick that happens but uh it, it's an interesting run for dc just to kind of because again just to get a taste of all these different characters by a writer who sometimes seems to know less about them than the reader <laughs> i think i think that's probably true and it's also interesting just uh to see his evolution as a writer as the issues go along some of his quirks uh with the dialogue with the complete lack of interest in continuity not understanding the characters some of the gender politics and some of the mm-hmm. recurring sort of plot threads like with the robot thing um, it's interesting to see him develop and sort of find uh, a more distinct voice as the issues go along yeah because you know once he yeah once he gets through this kind of rough patch um, I, I think it really does pick up and uh, you know, there's some issues here with Adams, and then I think Cardi does it for a while, but then the long run with uh, 
apparel art. You know, I'd always pick those up as, you know, just figuring, you know, it's a good read, a good story most of the time. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's that's the run that I think everybody thinks of when they think of Brave and the Bold is Haney on Batman and specifically Haney and Apero. So it's interesting to see how DC sort of was fumbling towards that as figuring out trial by error what works for the book and what doesn't work. Yeah, and, you know, Batman's, uh, I think, was good to anchor a book because he was still popular off the tv show you know you have the superhero aspects you have the detective aspects so there's different things you could key off of depending on who the uh the team up was at that time that's it for this episode of the classic comics forum podcast once again i'd like to thank my guest MDG. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll join me again next time for another look at some of the classic and not so classic comic books of yesteryear. And as always, please visit us online at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation. 